Good evening. This is Orson Welles. There are clearly a number of ways in which a Christmas carol could be introduced. Myself, I am most struck by the happy fortune that enables us on this Christmas Eve to present Mr. Lionel Barrymore, the best-loved actor of our time, in the world's best-loved Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. Good evening from the Gaslight Quarter of downtown Transylvania, and welcome to the Jack-O-Lantern Press podcast where we discuss monsters and Halloween, well, ghosts at Christmas this time. My name's Michael Piccarella. And my name's Tom Piccarella. Tonight's episode, that's right, Ghostly Christmas Carols. At the head of the show, you heard the opening for Orson Welles' radio version of A Christmas Carol with Lionel Barrymore. I'm not sure what year that version was. There are at least two versions that I know of. There's the 1938 one and a 1939 one, and I think... That one is the 1939 recording, but that one there we had as kids on cassette tape. And Tom, I think you remember this, Um, I'm not sure, but we were little kids um, living in the Newbury Park house, and one night after we all went to bed, it had probably been like 10 or 20 minutes, that opening just started playing on my old Fisher-Price tape recorder. I remember that. It was like... No one was up, and it just started playing. And it was around Christmas time. We had gotten the tape. We were listening to it earlier in the day, but uh, you know, all of a sudden it just started playing. We were asleep. Well, yeah, it had probably been yeah. like ten or twenty minutes. Well, think about it though. You know, we were sitting there. It was dark. We were in our room. My brother and I had these bunk beds, and I think we had some sort of I don't know. I think there was Christmas lights or something that I kind of remember but I remember sitting up in on the top bunk and all of a sudden that thing started playing and didn't mom and it was come nowhere in? near anyone it no, was nowhere it, it was like sitting out on a desk or on the floor or in the closet I can't remember where it was but it wasn't near anyone and I remember Loretta laughing she was in her bed and she's like who's pressing that and then dad got pissed cuz like what's yeah. going on in there and what are you guys playing that for? And I remember we were both shocked, like, what the heck? And this, bear in mind this, too. We're talking about a tape recorder that had a mechanical button. It doesn't just start. You have to push hard on the mechanical button to even make it go. Yeah. So if it anyone, wasn't like yeah, somebody could look just up accidentally... On the- <clears throat> if yeah, if, so if you look up on the internet, there was a Fisher Price tape recorder. It came out in the eighties, early eighties. It was a little brown. It was a, like a light brown tape recorder. If you look at the buttons, you really had to push that thing down for it to play. The other thing too is, I was thinking, oh well, what if it was the batteries were kind of dead and they just like kicked up and you know it was the play button was already p- pressed. And, you know, the batteries were kind of dead, so it wasn't playing, and then it just kicked up. But the batteries were not dead, because we never changed them. We we didn't change them forever, because I remember thinking, these batteries are still going, so it's not that. Because I kept trying to think of a logical solution why it was playing. Nevertheless, uh, we bring this up because we're wondering if that was a ghost. Because there are ghosts at Christmas time. Um, they are afoot. And perhaps the most famous ghosts 
of the Christmas season are those from Charles Dickens' novella, A Christmas Carol, from 1843, or what he called A Christmas Carol in prose, being a ghost story of Christmas. So tonight, Tom and I will be talking about the tradition of telling ghost stories on Christmas, because it used to be a tradition. Then we'll try to uh, to pick our favorite Christmas carol of all time, which should be interesting, followed by our favorite ghosts of Marley, the ghosts of Christmas past, the ghosts of Christmas present, and the, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Then uh, we will conclude... Uh, even though we've read the carol and seen more versions of the carol than we can count, we'll talk about other adaptations of Charles Dickens' work that we still want to check out. So as we stated in the beginning, and as you can probably tell by the sounds in the background, Tom and I are recording from the Gaslight Quarter of downtown Transylvania. And if you bought our book, Transylvania Traveler, then you know all about this place. It's a uh, it's a foggy, old London-like neighborhood, which is a haven for ghosts, phantoms, and of course Sherlock Bones, who is the skeleton of Sherlock Holmes, um, still on the prowl and looking for Jack the Ripper. So those sounds, by the way, are really from Department 56's Village Sounds cassette tape, which um, Department 56, who makes um, these Dickens Village pieces, put out a tape, and I think is back in the 80s, um, and we still have the thing. Or, you know, mom, mom actually gave me that thing from when we would set up the village, and so I figured it was fitting to, to have it here. So, all right, so before we get started, Tom, I think you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, monsters. We'd brought this up before, and, and yeah. it's in our book. Um, well, it, so I, I wanted to... Want to well, I mean, we we did monster content, and uh, or you know, or horror content, but but see the whole the whole point of of us continuing our episodes, um, you know, on the Jack O' Lantern Press podcast here through the holiday season and also through the year is to is to show people that there's more than just you know Halloween, that that you could celebrate this stuff or not even really celebrate it but just get into monsters in general which is what you know both of us love and and how things can happen throughout the year especially with the holidays you know we're both into holidays all through the year and we do stuff that usually has to has to do with monsters you know whether it be christmas time or valentine's day or easter or whatever um we always have applied some sort of monster to each holiday to make that day, I don't know, more fun. Um, yeah, monsters, so it's like monsters are always related to horror stuff. And that was one of the things we wanted to, to state in the opening of our book. We, we differentiated between monster content and horror content because monsters aren't just horror related. So that's why we wanted to make that clear. We were celebrating monsters of all types, you know, all forms of media. And uh, so that's kind of how we're doing this episode, because it's not Halloween related necessarily, but it's certainly monster related. Right. And so one of the things that I wanted to bring up just out of the dictionary of what is a monster. And of course, everybody's probably saying, I already know what a monster is. But here's here's the definition. An imaginary creature that is typically large, ugly, and frightening. Now, you could put that towards anything, even 
in regards to the Christmas Carol, uh, I mean, look at the the stuff that Charles Dickens did in this. He he has three ghosts and and well, four if you, actually. If you include well four, Marley. yeah. If you include Marley, but even the stuff around it, um, you know, we'll get into it a little bit more. But like the spirits that are that are floating. Uh, you know, in the one scene where you're looking out the window on, on a lot of the, the, uh, the Christmas carols that are out, all the different adaptations of, of a Christmas carol, a lot of them show, you know, these dead spirits that are floating about, you know, out the window. And, uh, I just think that that's neat. It's so eerie. And once again, goes back to ghosts, monsters, and, and that sort of thing. So that's, I wanted to make sure that we brought that up so that people realize that as we progress and go further and further through uh, each episode from now and until, you know, Halloween time, um, this is our purpose for it, is to define monsters of every holiday and pretty much all through the year. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, all right, well, you want to move into the first topic? Yeah, let's let's get into it. All right, so the first one up is Ghost Stories at Christmas. So there were a bunch of articles that I read about um, ghost stories and telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve as being a tradition, an old tradition. So there's uh, one article that I found on smithsonian.com by Colin Dickey, um, and this posted December of 2017. So he writes, For the last hundred years, Americans have kept ghosts in their place, letting them out only in October. This is kind of going along with what you were just talking about, Tom. In the run-up to our only real haunted holiday, Halloween. But it wasn't always this way. And it's no coincidence that the most famous ghost story is a Christmas story. Or put another way, that the most famous Christmas story is a ghost story. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol was first published in 1843. And its story about a man tormented by a series of ghosts the night before Christmas belong to a once rich, now mostly forgotten tradition of telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve. Dickens' supernatural yuletide terror was no outlier, since for much of the 19th century was the holiday indisputably associated with ghosts and the specters. Telling ghost stories during winter is a hallowed tradition, a folk custom that stretches back centuries when families would while away the winter nights with tales of spooks and monsters. Um, Then he continues in the article, he says, Based in folklore and the supernatural, it was a tradition the Puritans frowned on, so it never gained much traction in America. Washington Irving, he's the one who wrote um, the uh, Headless Horseman, uh, helped resurrect a number of forgotten Christmas traditions in the ni- in the early 19th century, but it really was Dickens who popularized the notion of telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve. The Christmas issues of the magazines he edited, Household Words, and after 1859, all the year round, regularly included ghost stories, not just a Christmas carol, but also works like The Chimes and The Haunted Man, both of which also feature an unhappy man who changes his ways after visitation by a ghost. 
Dickens publications, which were not just winter-themed, but explicitly linked to Christmas, helped forge a bond between the holiday and ghost stories. Christmas Eve, he would claim in The Seven Poor Travelers of 1854, is the witching time for storytelling. So, had you heard of, of any of this, Tom? Had you heard that ghost stories, you know, being told at Christmas Eve was a, a tradition once before? No. Be- before you and I started having a conversation about this, uh, you know, I thought about it. And uh, I know you had brought it up before about how this was a tradition, but I did discover something along the way uh, when you had brought it up, um, when we were talking about it. And if you listen to the song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, written in 1963 by Edward Pola and George Weil, uh, the, the perfect saying, there'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow... There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the happiest season of all. There'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most which it was funny when I was looking stuff up because that that song is huge. I mean Andy Williams sang it, all kinds of people sing it now, but I mean it says it right there that ghost stories oh, were dude. a part of a, a Christmas tradition. I remember hearing that song and always thinking I don't understand why why is why are they saying ghost stories? Who tells ghost stories on Christmas? Ghost stories are for Halloween. Right. And it, you know, so that's what's so so crazy about it. But then, yeah, when you start looking back, so one of the things I also found, um, there was an article from October 2019 um, on HistoryDaily.org, and they were this article was stating that um, let's see, where is it? The author of the piece goes on to say of Victorians that having the misfortune of living in a time before specialized medicine or easy access to health care, death was constantly on their minds, um, and winter was pic- particularly rife with it. Just just to go into a, a, a little bit more, there's a there's another website called uh, thelineup.com. It's actually the-line-up.com, and they came up with four eerie old holiday ghost stories that I guess used to be told... Um, quite heavily back in the day uh and a couple of those i i don't know any of these stories it's going to be interesting because i I might look into these a little bit more but one is called between the lights by ef benson in 1912 um i don't know what it's about these are just i'm going to list off a couple of these these things that they have there and if you want to go to this website they um they have a button that you could press on saying read it now um there's another one called Lost Hearts by M.R. James from 1904. Um, there's another one called Smee uh, by A.M. Burridge in 1931. And then the last one is called The Searcher of the End House by William Hope Hodgen- 
Hodgson in 1910. And I guess these stories were stories that people used to to say all the time or, or read all the time to their families or kids and whatnot. And, uh, and they're, they're scary stories. So just one other thing for you to, to maybe jump in around the holiday times, if you guys want to, you know, bring this tradition back in, these are a couple of stories to, to maybe jump in and read and see what you think. Yeah, you know, following, so I'm reading this book, I I still didn't, I was hoping to finish this before this episode, but it's The Man Who Invented Christmas by Les Standiford, and I know there's a movie about it, and we'll talk about it, but this is more of like a historical text, and it talks a lot about Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol, and so right now I'm at the very end of the book, I mean, I could probably finish it in the next 20 minutes, <laughs> um, oh, but it's it's talking about after he did the carol, he wanted to write a Christmas story every year. And so he did a couple. And in fact, if you go on Amazon, there's a Kindle version of a book. It is called The Charles Dickens Christmas Mega Pack, and it has 25 classic Yuletide tales. Um, and some of them are, are those that, you know, it, ha- it does have a Christmas carol, and then it has a couple other um, stories that he wrote. One of them is The Chimes, a goblin story of some bells that rang an old year out and a new year in. Uh, and there's supposed to be a Christmas story, but it was more about New Year's. I haven't read it, but it actually sounds really cool. Um, but there's you know a, a, a couple other stories that he wrote as well that are you know basically ghost stories again or you know this one it's like more of a monster it seems but I'm not sure I haven't read it so definitely something I want to check out but you know I think it's something worth revisiting I mean it just seems like a cool fun tradition I mean for me at Christmas time my favorite Christmas stories were ones with monsters in it. So this one, of course, A Christmas Carol with Ghosts, I always loved. I loved the scariness and then the happiness at the end, um, you know, which is well, kind there's, of like... Well, there's, there's a good plot to it. You know, it's a feel-good yeah, and there's, type you know, movie and, yeah. and then also there's monsters in it, which is, which is yeah. what and makes, then of makes course, it neat. You know, I always, I always loved The Grinch. You know, and here again was, you know, this monster, basically, this darkness, and then it's happy at the end. Um, even in yeah. in uh, Yogi's First Christmas, you know, I, I always love that dang hermit. <laughs> He's yeah, a mon- the hermit. that cartoon is dumb in or even hindsight. Or even in the, the clay animation Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer where you have the, yeah. the abominable. The bumble. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of funny when I think back at my favorite Christmas stories, they always involve some kind of darker element. And it's, you know, I think that's kind of the idea, like, you know, what they're talking about in winter, everything dies. And then in spring, it, you know, it there's life again, you know, life springs. Um, and I think that's, it's probably that contrast that, you know, I mean, it really does make for the best stories. You have to have conflict and you have to have you know, the the end of the world, and then it all comes together in the end. All right, so moving on to um, the best Christmas carol. Um, So before we get into that, I I just wanted to say a couple of facts about A Christmas Carol, because this this is not just, you know, your ordinary, you know, uh, movie or anything. I mean, this is a text that is probably one of the most popular texts outside of maybe the Bible that has ever been written. I mean, you're talking 
this this everybody knows about a Christmas Carol. More than likely, in some way, shape, or form, somebody has either has either read the book, watched movies, you know, uh, done something performed with this. in a play at school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the funny part is, is just a fun little fact. This book actually is was one of the fastest classic tales ever written. It was started in is he started writing it in October of 1843 and he finished it and published it on the bookshelves on December 17th of that same year. You're talking he wrote this whole thing in 3 months. Yeah, or two and this months, was the really. first this was the first book that he was more than just like typically he would just write a work and then the publishers would take over but he chose the artist or the illustrator he um, yeah. chose what it was going to look like how it was going to be bound the gold leaf you know all what the pages were going to be like he chose all of that so he took a much bigger role because he had he was not making money anymore he was not as popular as he once was and so he was really going out on a limb but he he had high hopes for this thing well, um, think of, so uh, if you watch everything he had into it if you watch the the man who invented Christmas, um, it gives you a really good story uh, about about the, uh, the the way that he started, kind of transitioning from his texts that weren't very popular into into this one, and then what he ended up doing with it. So he's had a couple of flops. Well, who hasn't? You have a new book in mind? Oh, of course he does. My lamp's gone out. I've run out of ideas. Are we in trouble? No, of course not. I have told you not to disturb me when I am working. On Christmas Eve, the spirits pour into the night. Look here, Mr. Dickens. Pickpockets, streetwalkers, humbug. Those people don't belong in books. Charles! Come back! Come back! about a miser and on Christmas Eve he meets some kind of supernatural guides. Does it have a title? Humbug a Miser's Lament. Christmas ghost story, Christmas song, Christmas ballad, something like that. Get the name right and the character will appear. Scratch. Scrounger. Come on. Scrooge. Shut the window. You think I'm made of money? Mr. Scrooge. How delightful to meet you, sir. Sorry, I can't say the same. You and I are going to do wonderful things together. How do you make a world come alive? I can almost see and hear them people. Even if you'd already written it, we couldn't possibly get it printed and distributed in only six weeks. If I can't finish it, I'll never write again. The characters won't do what I want. I'm the author here. Allegedly. A jolly ghost. What's that mean? <laughs> In the season of hope, we will shut out nothing and everyone will be welcome. I have to get to the printers by nine o'clock. But you still don't have an ending. Merry, Merry Christmas to one and all. Merry Christmas! 
enough. Back to work. God bless us, everyone. I want to go through something real quick. It's different adaptations of of a Christmas Carol that are out that that people are doing to this day. Because uh, there were public readings that he had he had done back in the day. There there's stuff in theater. You could go watch this stuff live. Uh, you obviously have your film. You have your television. Uh, they've put it out directly to DVD. They've had radio uh, episodes about this, recordings, um, different recording type things, operas that have replayed A Christmas Carol. They've had bilingual editions, so they've put it in all sorts of different countries and, and, and different avenues there. They've built graphic novels about this, comic strips, different parodies that people have have uh you know created about the Christmas Carol and then other derivative works that that I think are are out there that and, and I might be missing some some stuff but it's just amazing to me that they have taken a text that was written you know in 1843 and and that's how many times people have recreated it and that's not even including all the different things that people have pulled from this and made their own stuff and I guess that's probably more along the lines of a parody but it's 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 interesting to me that one piece of text can build that many different things yeah in in uh, this book the man who invented christmas which the movie definitely you know it takes certain things and compresses it um but the book is more like I said was is more of a historical text um, and so it, it, uh, goes into exactly what was going on, you know, what plays, cause I think some of the, the play or some of the books that he had written, they kind of compressed into one piece or they took things from different times and they kind of packaged it all together in one time. Um, so it's worth reading to get, you know, the exact, um, timeline of things, but the movie definitely is great and gives you a good, you know, it gives you the emotional, um, vastness of the whole thing. Um, but I wanted to read inside this book. Um, it says, according to a count made in the 1980s, at least 225 live stagings, films, radio dramas, and television plays based on Dickens' Little Carol have been produced after 1950. And that number does not take into account the untold number of amateur and regional productions staged every year. Not only has A Christmas Carol become the most adapted of all the author's works, but it would be hard to name any other work of fiction that has thereby become so ubiquitous a part of Western popular culture. I mean, I think even people who haven't seen or read or, you know, know anything about A Christmas Carol, they know Scrooge. They hear Scrooge. They know exactly what it is. Oh, yeah. It's it's just pretty crazy. In any event, <clears throat> moving on to try and decide which of our which version is our favorite um, I know I've seen a lot and even just the last few weeks I've watched a bunch um, you know there's cartoon like you were saying there's cartoon adaptations and I've seen a bunch of them play I've seen a number of plays in different places where we've been I've even seen Roddy Piper's Christmas Carol there's the 1951 version with Alistair Sim. Humbert! 
Um, there's the 1984 version with George C. Scott, which incidentally is directed by Clive Donner, who edited the 1951 version. <laughs> Humbug. There's a ton. Yeah, George C. Scott is the one that uh, that Dad I think likes the best. And and yeah. don't get me wrong, it's it's well done, and and I do like the acting in it. It's just not my favorite. So yeah, I'm I'm curious how before we we just well first off, do you have one that you think is your favorite? Oh, I'm I, I already sure. know for a fact. I okay, so. Yeah. I don't. I'm curious how you chose yours because someone asked me the other day because I was talking about him with the Christmas about the Christmas Carol, and he said which one had the most emotional impact, and so to me it was actually the Orson Welles Christmas Carol from the Campbell Playhouse, um, and I think it was the 1939 version that we had, and it's I'd heard it a million times. We listened to it as kids, but there was one Christmas Eve where um i had i had worked the day before and it was just like crazy work and like finally there was going to be rest i was going to have a few days off we we're driving up to uh mom's house you were coming down it was christmas eve we're driving up and uh lisa and robert were asleep in the car and i was like well i'm just going to put this christmas carol on and there was just something about that time in my life and what was going on in the moment it just really had an emotional impact on me, like the the message that Charles Dickens was trying to relay. And it's like, so now I listen to it every Christmas Eve, and it's just a super powerful adaptation of the story. So I told this guy, I think that's probably the one that had the most emotional impact, but it's not my favorite, Um, but it's certainly up there. The Orson Welles one is well done. I mean, if you're just going to sit back and, and you know, sit in your bunk bed and wait for it to start on its own, it's definitely <laughs> a really good one. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, there's the Glendale Center Theater down in Southern California. When we were little kids, we went every year. And it was it's a theater in the round, and it's an amazing production um, with cool little effects. You know, we went... Um, was it last year or the year before? I can't remember. We don't go every year anymore, but um, it, it's still amazing. And they have really cool stuff. When you go outside, at when the, the play is over, they have the carolers singing. And then they have like this, it's like a bubble machine, but it looks like snow. And they're shooting it off the, the second floor um, onto everyone exiting the theater. I mean, it's just really cool. And yeah, it's a last great tradition. Yeah, last year. Last year we went with, um, I don't think you were able to, to get there in time for the one in Sacramento, California, but uh, when we went and, and visited uh, Loretta, uh, we went to kind of a smaller version. Wasn't wasn't as, I think, uh, put together as, as the one that you went to, but it was still well done. The acting was fantastic. Um, even the, the props and the setup and the lighting and and all of that. I mean, I I thought it was it was well done. So it it was definitely good. Yeah. So you know, when I was talking to this guy, and I said, "So what was the Christmas Carol that had the most emotional impact for you?" And I'm thinking, "Oh, he's gonna, you know, the George C. Scott one or something." Uh, and he said, "The Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol from 1962, which I hadn't seen." Humbug. Well, I watched it the other night. And it's actually really, it's 
I it's, have not it's seen not great. that one. It's not great, but there's they they have musical numbers in it and they're actually really touching, you know, warm songs with it does have some emotional impact and I don't know if this guy saw this when he was young and maybe something was going on in his life like for me with the the radio version where it just touched him. We'll have the Lord's bright blessing and knowing we're together knowing we're together heart and hand and then I really really enjoyed the 1970 version it was called Scrooge adapted by Leslie Brickus directed by Ronald Neem and I don't know if you remember this version we saw it as kids but there was a song that dad used to sing and I never knew what it was from until I watched this movie again um, it's it's when it goes thank you very 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 much thank you very 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 much do you remember that? Oh, I remember when he used to sing that. Didn't know that was from that actual version. Yeah. So anyway, really great. And there's a really great, great scene when Marley takes Scrooge outside the window among all the ghosts floating around. And it is really spooky and really, really great. Yeah, I, you showed me that the other day because I have not seen that version. And by the way, for anybody uh, um, you know listening, you can you could watch that on YouTube uh, if you want to check it out. Um, yeah, really, uh, it's really cool. It has a really ghostly um, look to it. You know, lots of gray tones and stuff, and then it, really cool sound design. You know, they use lenses really well, wide angle lenses, and little ghostly effects. Um, like when Marley is going to sit down and I, I don't want to give it all. And it's, don't forget this movie's made in 1970, but a lot of little cool things that are done in this movie. And it's definitely worth a watch. And it feels like the feel you want for Christmas. There's a warm feeling to it, you know, juxtaposed with the ghostly stuff. filling the sky around you they astound you I can tell these inhabitants of hell poor wretches whom the hand of heaven ignores beware 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 Lest their dreadful fate be yours. There's definitely a lot of really good ones, but it came down to two that I wasn't sure which one I was going to pick. The one I really wanted to pick but ended up not picking was The Man Who Invented Christmas from 2017, um, based on the Les Standiford book from 2008. Um, it's adapted by Susan Coyne and directed by Bharat Naluri. It, 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 to me, like it just really got me excited about Dick and stuff. 
Um, you know, it made me want to get my Dickens tree, which I have this year. Um, you know, it got me so excited. I remember we were talking to Loretta about it. And then Christmas last year, she ended up doing a Fezziwig dinner, um, which she decorated all up Dickens. And yeah, you know, it just, that movie really got me excited. But I ended up going with one that really gets me excited about Christmas. Um, and it gets me excited about the play probably or the, the the book probably the most and I guess we could probably say should the book be our favorite but it's not and it's mainly because of of how this sets the tone for Christmas and that is Disney's 2009 A Christmas Carol adapted and directed by Robert Zemeckis What do you want with me? You will be haunted by three spirits. I'd rather not. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Ah! Haunt me no longer! holiday season, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, <laughs> and future Get away! Get away! will give one man that chance. <laughs> this November, Walt Disney Pictures and Image Movers Digital invite you to experience the classic tale like you've never seen it before. In Disney Digital 3D and IMAX 3D. Yeah, that's that's the same one that I have. It was it was released date on November sixth of two thousand nine. The estimated budget was two hundred million dollars, and the the voice acting, you know, Jim Carrey, uh, you know, Gary Oldman, um, you know, I I don't know. You just you couldn't really go wrong. I, Jim Carrey did a absolutely fantastic job. Uh, in his acting, I know a lot of people might not might not like um, Jim Carrey's voice in there, but I mean, you, you can't deny the fact that he did an excellent job on there. Uh, the, the crazy part about it is IMDb has this one on at 6.8 out of 10, which just once again shocks me. Um, you know, the thing, thing is, I didn't when I first saw it, I didn't love it. I, I enjoyed it. But it was repeat viewings. I think I I didn't love Jim Carrey in it, but what I do love about it is how they. It is very close to the text, 
And oh, it's super close just, to the it's, text. It's the the mood of it. It's the music. It's how it goes in the opening alone. How it goes from the poor part of town to the rich part. There's something about the scene. <clears throat> it's like the opening credits, and the camera goes to I think it's Parliament or something or some government building, and it peeks into a window where these people are setting up a Christmas party and there's like all these tables and they're setting out fine china and all this and there's something about that that reminded me of Christmas time when we were kids and mom would be setting up this big Christmas Eve dinner and I just remember being excited about everyone coming over about Santa Claus coming about gifts the next day there's something that's in that scene that takes me back to that and there's a lot of that throughout the movie um, that just gets me excited about Christmas time and Christmas spirit. And, and that's probably why I like this movie the best, because it really leaves me with a good Christmas feeling. Well, and honestly, I think I think the reason that, that this one is my favorite as well is just the animation is amazing. It's by Image Movers. Um, I think they're the ones who did uh, the Polar Express as well, um, which you yeah, know, it's Robert Zemeckis's company. Yeah, I, I I mean they they do a fantastic job. I mean even in the Polar Express, just to throw it out there real quick, there's a ghost that sits on the top of the train. So more about ghosts in in that whole thing. But uh, this movie, everything between Marley. Um, he was accurate with the gross ghost of Christmas past. Um, the all of the ghosts were well done. Uh, the acting was well done, but the animation that they had. I mean, if you look back and you look at the the animations that they had for that sequence um, that we were talking about earlier with all the spirits floating around. I mean, oh yeah, that one is great. great. It was yeah. great. Even Marley. Great. I mean, one part of Marley's scene. I, I mean, I, I will say, eh, you know, not that great. Just when his when his mouth, you know, got stuck open. You know, they kind of made a little silliness of it. But for the most part, the majority of that was just fun. Um, but yeah, I this is definitely. I watched this again before we did this, and this is definitely my all-time favorite um every time i, I, put I watch that it, thing on it's the best i put it on every year when i set up my dickens village i put that movie on yeah i it, it because it's the best i mean even the music yeah. by alan silvestri the music is fantastic in this as well um yeah yeah if you haven't seen it watch it it's it's the best one for sure I think so, you know, and I know there's people out there that are probably like, what, you got to go to the original, you know, or the the 1951, the George C. Scott, you know, I don't know. I've watched a lot of them, and this one definitely accomplished, it, it definitely feeds the the hunger that I have for this story, and so. Well, and not only anyway. that, don't get, don't get us wrong either, you know, the classics are great. And I'm usually a classic person. You ask me about classic monsters, and I'm always going to go back to the classics. But this was just so well done that I, I just, that's why I, I like it the best. The next uh, section here, we have uh, best ghosts. So we're going to 
discuss our favorite Marley, our favorite ghost of Christmas past, favorite ghost of Christmas present, and favorite ghost of Christmas yet to come. So, so I just want to say... This is going to be challenging. This is going to be challenging for me more than anything <laughs> because I looked up a whole bunch of different things about these ghosts and, and honestly, I you're going to be kind of shocked at, at some of mine, but I... I this was this was tough for me. Um, it it really was. Yeah, I mean, but uh, yeah, it definitely and as it should be because this is to me why I love this story. In fact, the ghosts are the focal point of my Dickens village. So right in the center, I have like a big little mountain that Scrooge. You see him walking up the pathway, and at the top is his his dwelling, his his building. And then at the on the roof, I have like um, it's like a uh, kind of like a cotton ball kind of. It's not cotton balls, but it's like uh, uh, it's this material like that, and it looks like fog. And coming out of the fog, I have Marley, the ghost of Christmas present, past, and future, um, sitting on the roof, and they're they're kind of looking down at Scrooge as he's approaching. You know, and you know, you're anticipating the story to come, and the and those ghosts are really, really cool. Um, so I actually had a good time trying to to pick which ones, but it was it. There were a few where I thought, um, you know, maybe it was a tie between a couple of them, but um, they kind of came quick. Which ones I liked best? So do you want to you want to go on with uh, your favorite Marley? Marley for me uh, would have been. Either uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol with yes. Goofy being Marley, because yep. I I thought it was funny. Um, it, it's not the most spooky, but it was kind of spooky when he was you know saying Ebenezer Scrooge, go away. Slippery. That Marley, and then I'm I'm gonna you know obviously go back to Disney's A Christmas Carol in 2009 because it was well animated and he looked I think he looked the best. Um, so I mean th- those are mine as far as Marley goes. It's just we already kind of touched on it, but the animation on on the 2009 one was the best I think. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. There's a a 28-minute animated short that actually won an Oscar. Um, It's called A Christmas Kill. It was done in 1971, and it's on Amazon Prime right now. And it is really good. The, the The drawing style is based on the the original uh, John Leach illustrations from the book and that Marley is really creepy and you watched it right yeah oh yeah yeah so it was really cool so that Marley was was really great and it's a really great little animated film um, and worth the watch Um, but I think that what I'm gonna pick for my Marley is is going to be from the Muppet Christmas Carol in 1992 and it's with the Marleys 
and uh, oh, you did that. So Stat, that's funny because there's two Waldorf. of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ebenezer Scrooge, oh. looking older and more wicked than ever. I knew he wouldn't disappoint us. <laughs> so that one was cool. All right, so moving on, Ghost of Christmas Past. Okay, so this one was really tough for me. Um, I already know what yours is, but for the sake of of mine, I couldn't find one, and so I started I started going back because uh, I don't I don't really like the one that's in the the Christmas Carol of two thousand nine. I mean it 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 played really well towards the book. So what I did was yeah, I went back the book to the original the text. Yeah, and and I'm going to say my favorite one is the book. I like the way he described it. He described it as a supernatural medium um, with childlike proportions. Your imagination is going to take you into what he wanted you to see, uh, and so that's, that's what I'm picking as the original text. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man viewed through some supernatural medium which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were, like those upper members, bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and, in singular contradiction of that winter emblem, had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was, that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light, by which all this was visible, and, which was doubtless the occasion of its using, in its duller moments, a great extinguisher for a cap, which it now held under its arm. Even this, though, when Scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness, was not its strangest quality, for as its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part and now in another, and what was light one instant, at another time, was dark. So the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with twenty legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, of which dissolving parts no outline would be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. And in the very wonder of this it would be itself again, distinct and clear as ever. I was thinking of the voice in the radio, the Orson Welles radio version, because it just sounds very ghostly. But I ended up going with David Johnson from 1988 Scrooge, adapted by Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue, directed by Richard Donner. Now, I didn't even care that much for that movie, and I remember we saw it in the theater, and I remember thinking, oh, it was good, but I had no interest in ever watching it again. And a few years back, I tried to watch it again and turned it off, because it was like, it feels dated, it's kind of lame and I watched it again a couple weeks ago and I it, it didn't it was maybe a little better than than 
I previously thought it, but it still isn't that great other than like the great Danny Elfman score. But I really like David Johnson. He's like a cab driver and he is the ghost of Christmas past and his introduction is really cool. How do you know my name? I know absolutely everything, Frank. You see, I'm the ghost. <laughs> hey, you don't mind if I smoke, do you? Smoke, smoke, just drive. Yeah, so that was the that was the introduction to to that ghost, and I thought it was pretty fun. Um, so that's who I picked. Um, how about for a ghost of Christmas present? Uh, for me, the ghost of Christmas present, I will go to the uh, Disney's Christmas Carol from two thousand nine. That that represented the book perfectly. I loved how the coloring in that. In the in that animation that they did, he's huge, which is what he's supposed to be. He has the beard. He's laughing. Uh, there's all this neat Christmas stuff all over the place. There's that huge tree. But what makes it even better for me was that he had him. You know, he put him in his pocket, and then he would like go up in the air, and they'd be flying over the all of the the land there going over the, the houses and, and everything else and then come down in and everything brought the text to life in such a perfect way that I I don't know. I Yeah, that it was, was definitely it was my Carey. favorite. Oh yeah, he played he played Ghost of Christmas again. Pass. Scrooge is a young boy, Scrooge is a teenager, Scrooge is a young man, Scrooge is a middle aged man. Ghost of Christmas present, ghost of I didn't Christmas even know yet that. to come. Scrooge. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That was my favorite as well. Um, the only other competition that I had for it, and I'm probably going to give away something that you were going to bring up because you and I talked about something we were going to say that we weren't going to tell each other in the moment, but we kind of laughed, and I think it's exactly <laughs> what you were thinking. And that yeah. is, uh, <laughs> I know you're thinking of the same thing. So many years back, it was uh, a Christmas you're gonna say Eve. Jack? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Jack. Oh man, so our yep. stepdad. So basically, our mom and stepdad and stepdad's sister, we we were having Christmas together that year, and we were all going to sleep, and they decided to reenact all the ghosts. And I can't remember. I think mom was Marley, possibly. And then I can't Jean remember. I just remember Jack. I remember Jack, and Jack. I remember Aunt Jean. And but Jack was the funniest, just yeah, because he was he the fit ghost the of role. Yeah, he, he fit so they the took. Role. We had we had lighted garland on on our um, stairwell, and they took that off, and he tied it around himself. And then he's big, and he had a beard, so it very much was was the ghost of Christmas present. And he came in and was so loud that his sister actually peed herself laughing. Yeah. <laughs> she literally peed herself laughing. So I, that was definitely one that I thought about as my favorite Chris goes. That's Christmas funny that present. you didn't bring that up because that's what I was going to bring up too. I remember Jack, and just just to give you you know a little bit more description of what Jack looks like is is, is he was like six I don't know six two I think, but he did have he had a big beard, you know he's a bigger build, um, you know, and for him standing in the hallway. You know, in the middle of the night, and boys, and he's, he's boisterous, just like that yeah, spirit is. Really loud, and and the funny part was, is he's sitting there reading his script, and he did he did a great job doing it, and I'll, I'll never forget that that memory of him doing that. It's definitely was was really fun. So. Yeah, it was it was a highlight of that Christmas year. You know, here we are asleep, getting excited about waking up and presents, and all of a sudden, I remember there was this huge glow, like not unlike in the the movie or the the story, this huge glow outside the the room. I was like, "What the hell is that?" And I hear giggling, which was Jean and my mom, and our mom, and then mom came in, and I can't remember exactly you know what they said or i can't remember mom's marley uh but yeah as soon as jack came in it's like (laughs) yeah that was the topper for sure (laughs) so all right so christmas uh, ghost of christmas yet to come um who who did you pick all right so i have actually two um that i'm gonna mention uh so the first one is mainly mainly because i liked the character uh, and it's from um, it's from the Muppet Christmas Carol of 1992. Uh, oh. That puppet, I think, was neat. He didn't say anything. Yeah. He just pointed like he was supposed to. I thought the graveyard scene was neat. I mean, obviously, in that particular Muppet one, they had to you know tailor it more towards the kids, so they didn't you know need to you know they didn't want to make it you know too scary for them. But I honestly thought that. That had they had they really made that spooky, they could have really made that character 
spooky, but it was it was played well. Um, and so that is one of my favorites. Otherwise, the the other the other one for me is is going to go right back to the 2009 Disney's Christmas Carol yeah. because that whole setting was amazing with the horses, with the red eyes, the shadows. Um, obviously, and even the his animation introduction. Again. His yeah. introduction. He he comes out of out of Scrooge's shadow, and he just like appears. So that you know the way it was done artistically was just cooler and spookier um, and scarier than than any of the other previous versions. That's that's what I went with as well because it was just the most ghoulish of them all. <laughs> Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to you're about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened but will happen is that so spirit ghost of the future i fear you more than any specter i have seen but i know your purpose is to do me good i'm prepared to bear you company lead on Night is waning fast. It's precious time to me. Lead on, spirit. Oh, yeah. Or, or I really like the one from Mickey's Christmas Carol, um, <laughs> with that. That I don't know if he's a dog or whatever that character is, um, but he had this big oh, yeah. cigar. And yeah. there's something about the cigar that reminded me of the scene in Pinocchio when they're all playing pool and they have the cigars. That was a scary scene because they turn into donkeys. I remember as a kid watching that and getting freaked out. So that cigar was kind of reminiscent of that scary scene. Um, but I, I like that character a lot um, in in that in that movie. So I, yeah, I, probably if I was gonna have to pick one though, I would pick the the Jim Carrey one. Yeah. And then just, and so for, just a little, a little tidbit of, of a little, another fun fact about the whole, um, uh, gravestone. Do you know that when he, he made up, uh, the name Scrooge, he took that, that character name from the tombstone, but he thought it said Scrooge, but it actually said Ebenezer Lennox, uh, Scroogey. I guess it was, S C R O G G I E, and he was a merchant from Edinburgh, uh, whose gravestone uh, Dickens glimpsed on when he walked through the city. So when he was walking by, that was the name that he saw on an actual gravestone, and he made a, he thought it said Scrooge, um, but it didn't, and then that's how he created the character. Well, there's different, there's different. There's different opinions. So in the book that I'm reading, this man who invented Christmas by Les Standiford, they, they talk about him coming up with names. So the movie kind of touched a little bit about a little bit on that, where how he comes up with names and he'll write them down. But scholars have different ideas of where Scrooge the name came from, and that was one of them. But this book's definitely worth checking out if you're into into this this story, because um, there's a yeah. lot of good information about it. 
But anyway, yeah, so moving on. Oh, I was going to say moving on because we are running out of time. Um, Carol's to check out. So like we said in the beginning, we've, we've watched and read and seen a lot of different Carol's and different adaptations. But there's still a bunch to check out. Do you have uh, any that uh, that you're that are on your radar, Tom? Yeah, I'm um, I'm actually this year going to watch the one by Thomas Edison produced a silent film adaptation of A Christmas Carol in 1910. It was a silent film kind of like we we talked about with Frankenstein. For some odd That's reason right. Thomas Edison keeps popping up with uh different types of things, but yeah, he created and he produced uh in 1910, a silent film adaptation of A Christmas Carol. It's it's like 11 yeah, minutes forgot. long. It's I amazing. I wanted to see that. I wanted. I was going to watch it before, and I forgot that was, I didn't write it down, so I forgot to actually watch it. I'll have to do that too. Yeah. So that that's that's the one I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into this year, and then uh, obviously repeat all of the the ones that we just mentioned um, for sure. Um, the the ones that I want to check out there's on Amazon I found this steampunk a Charles or Charles Dickens a Christmas Carol by Zdenko Basic uh, came out in October 2014 it's basically the actual text from Charles Dickens you know it's the it's the story but it's accompanied with these steampunk illustrations which looks really cool there's another mm. one that looks more of like um, he kind of took the story in his own direction, and that's by Stephen Hunt from November 2018. It's called The Steampunk Christmas Carol. And then one last thing that I have to do and I haven't yet is um, in at the Cow Palace in Daly City, California, which is near San Francisco, they have the Great Dickens Christmas Fair and Victorian Holiday Party, which Mom and Loretta um, and Jack and John, they, they all would go to every year and tell us about it and it looks really cool like they basically create this whole dickens world in the cow palace which is where the san jose sharks played they, well their first season they played there so i mean this is a huge arena and um it looks awesome they sent me uh, a guy actually if you go on their website um, which we'll link to in the show notes. You could there, there's a map and it shows all the stuff. They have shows. They have, it's almost like a Renaissance fair, but for Dickens. I'm Charles Dickens. Let me welcome you to Christmas Eve in the city of London. A Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry The ambiance. You're in Dickens' world. Yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Either way, Colonel. Over here, Eddie, we must turn the left There's no better place to have. Enjoy Christmas and kick it off in here. And uh, what's that drink? The hot butter? Hot buttered rum.
the one and only Great Dickens Christmas Fair at the historic Cow Palace. Magically transformed into the bustling lanes and boisterous playhouses of Victorian London. Join us for five weekends, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., including the Friday after Thanksgiving. For tickets and information, visit DickensFair.com. So, yeah, that's... Um that's what that, it just looks really cool and something that I definitely want to check out um, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do soon. All right, well, it sounds like those carolers from uh, Department 56's Village Sounds are back at it. So, Tom, you want to you wanna go out and join them? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so to take us out, here are some excerpts from Danny Elfman's fantastic score for 1988 Scrooged. So uh, have a great evening. Don't forget to tell ghost stories on Christmas Eve and uh, have a very scary Christmas. <laughs>